Tonight, again, my title is Many Are Called and Few, But Few Are Chosen. And so we're going to talk about what does that mean and how does that apply to me? How does that apply to my life? So let's bow our heads and let's just believe. Father, we just thank you. Bless this time. Give clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit to speak as your oracle tonight. Father, give each one here ears to hear, hearts to receive, a will to receive. Let us be transformed and renewed in our mind. Let us be conformed to your image and let us be light. Father, let us be uh, those who it said that we're epistles known and read of all men. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word. Let it do its work tonight in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Well, turn with me to Ephesians, the first chapter, the 18th verse. And we're going to talk about something that Paul prayed for us as Christians. The epistles are always great because they are not written to spiritually dead people. In the Old Testament, you know, God's people were spiritually dead. And they looked forward to a covenant to come. And they didn't have the inward witness, and they weren't, you know, born again. They were believers. They had a covenant, and in the days to come, they were going to get born again. They were going to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't be inwardly led. They had to be led by the prophet. They had to be led by a fleece. They had to be led by an angel appearing to them. How many of you know that? The Spirit was only upon the prophet, priest, and the king. And so it was a different day, and it was a difficult time. But praise God, in the day that we live in now, the Holy Spirit lives within us, and he can illuminate us, and he can show us things, and we don't have to depend upon a fleece, a prophet, or an angel, because God lives on the inside of me. How many of you are glad that God lives on the inside of you tonight? Amen. That is a good thing, and so we need to take uh, thought of that. And Paul was praying for the saints, and the epistles are written to the born-again, spirit-filled saints. It's the highest level of revelation written to the highest level of attainment in our Christian existence, as in the epistles. Gospels are good. I mean, we want to read those, red, those letters in red, because that's Jesus talking. But Jesus was, you've got to discern, and you've got to rightly divide when he's talking to spiritually dead people. Paul's always talking to spiritually born-again, spirit-filled, mature Christian people. And there's a big difference. Is Jesus speaking to them in the context of the ancient Jewish covenant, or is he speaking them to the covenant that he was bringing in? And he was literally presenting to them as a new, uh, already but not yet, uh, supernatural experience and transformation and uh, going from the old to the new. So all those things are pertinent when you, when you interpret Scripture. A lot of people seem to make no distinctions, but it can be very detrimental in your understanding. But praise God in the New Testament epistles, born again, spirit-filled people, Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding would be opened. Well, I'm spirit-filled. I'm born again. Do I really need, you know, if our gospel hits, hid to them their lost whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious side of the gospel should shine unto them. Huh. Yes, you can even have your eyes blind as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. You need to pray, as Paul prayed here, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. We are his inheritance, and he gives us inheritance. How many of you know that that goes both ways? And I've seen, I've seen translators, and I've seen commentaries. Some commentaries say that's the inheritance that Jesus inherits us from the, as a result of going to the cross. We're that great inheritance. And then some preachers, some commentaries say, no, we have an inheritance because we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And 
joint heirs have an inheritance, and we've inherited all things. And the inheritance is we've got healing, we've got deliverance, we've got the new birth, we've got the Spirit upon, we've got joy, we've got peace, we've got the fruits of the Spirit, we've got the gifts of the Spirit. That's a great inheritance. Either way you want to look at it, there's an inheritance both ways. Can I get an amen? Jesus gave his life for the most important thing that he desired. That was us, and that's what his inheritance is that the Father gave to him was the assignment to come down here and save us, and we would belong to him. Can I get an amen? And so those things are important to understand. And as we look at these verses, we can see that it says this one thing that I think is what, and it's the, what's pertinent to this message tonight, that we may know what the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? Everybody say, the hope of his calling. His calling has a hope. And I'm going to put that on two different levels, too. We, you know... Calling means, in one sense, to be invited. And we may know the hope. And hope is something that you desire. You may not know that you desire it. A lot of ignorant people don't know what their heart's desires is. They only know what their flesh's lusts are. How many of you notice the difference between the lust of the flesh and the desire of the heart? Two completely different worlds. Two completely differently driven things from the devil and sin and the flesh and the world drives one, uh, the lust of the flesh. But then the desires of the heart, your born-again spirit, your renewed mind, the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost, all determine the desires of a man's heart. And we need to know that hope, that desire, because hope and desire mean the same thing. We could say the desire of our calling, the inward spiritual, inward man, Holy Ghost, born again, regenerated, sanctified part of us has desires that are fulfilled only when we walk in our calling. A lot of people's life is a mess because they've never walked in their calling. Elvis Presley. Assembly of God kid, could sing like an angel. I'm told that people that knew him said he not only was called to sing, but he was called to preach. He died on the toilet at 40 years old of a drug overdose. A morbid, obese has-been who never fulfilled his call and dropped dead early and left his family fatherless. How many would say, That didn't turn out so good, now did it? See, your calling has a hope to it. Your calling has not only a hope in this life, because godliness is profitable in the life that now is and in the life that is to come. And following your calling is godliness. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. And God has great and mighty things for you because they that know their God shall do great exploits. Can I get an amen? We need our eyes open because people are so carnal and so this earthly minded instead of eternally minded and kingdom minded. They're very self-centered and they're very earthly minded and they're very small minded. But we can have our eyes opened up to the hope and the bigger picture of not just our human existence, but our calling. The Bible says in Him we live and move and have our being. In Him. Not in our human earthly ambition and our job and 
our family, our sports, our trophies, our accomplishments, our plaques on the wall, our you know, income, our prestigious address, our level that we attain to in, in some type of organization. No, it's in him we live and move and have our being. Can I get an amen? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope or the desire of his calling. See, there are desires in you that you will never, ever fulfill unless you walk in your calling. You think you will, but you won't. If you aren't doing what God's called you to do, you're like a Jonah living in the belly of a whale and thinking that you're having a high time. See, because he was evading, he was avoiding, he was walking away from his call to go preach at Nineveh, and it wasn't very pretty in the belly of that whale with all that stomach acid and getting belched out and being in the, you know, the, the Bible says he was literally, he went to hell, he died in there and came back. That's what most scholars believe, that the bars of hell were round about him, he said. And he was miserable. But the hope of your calling, your calling has hope to it. Your calling has a future to it. Your calling has a book in the book of Psalms talked about where every single day of your life is written in it. That's your calling. Your calling is this. I know the plans that I have for you of good and not for evil to give you hope, to give you an expected end, to prosper you and not to harm you. That's your calling. Can I get an amen? Your calling has a God-stamped approval. This is out of the book that I wrote for you concerning your life. This is in the plans that I have for you of good and not for evil. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And I know better than you. You may think you know what's going to make you happy, but I do know what will make you happy because I created you. Somebody say amen. You may think chasing that girl is going to make you happy, but she's going to destroy you someday. Somebody say amen. You may think that guy is going to make you happy, but he's going to destroy you someday. You may think that ambition that you have, that, that arrogant, you know, selfish ambition is going to make you happy, but it's going to destroy you someday. No, you're dying to self and you're accepting the call of God is what will give you a hope and a desired end. So let me read it again. He prayed that their eyes of their understanding be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of their calling. So we need to know the hope of our calling. Turn with me now to Matthew 22 and verse 14. And very, you know, most people in America today, you, you can look at surveys, the vast majority of people say, I hate my life. I'm not happy. I don't like what I do. Oh, but they wouldn't think of changing, you know, and maybe letting God in their life and obeying and doing what God says to do. And it starts with small things. If you're not faithful in that which is small, you'll not be faithful in that which is big. If you're faithful with that which is small, you will be faithful in that which is big. It starts with serving in church. It starts with helping in a nursery. It starts with helping on ushering. It starts with helping uh, do things that just need to be done and giving a tithe and showing up for church and being a blessing and witnessing and going and telling people about Jesus and being faithful in the small things so God can begin to trust you with some bigger things. Some people never advance because they've never been faithful with small things. Some people advance very rapidly, and people wonder, why, how come they have so much? Why are they so blessed? How, how is it that they can go so far? They're faithful in small details. Can I get an amen? And God can advance them very rapidly. 
And if you're not small, if you, excuse me, if you're not uh, faithful in the small things, you cannot advance to greater things. Matthew 22, 14. Let's, I'm, I need to turn there yet. Let's go quickly. And we can see that, and we all know this statement, many are called. That, that, that doesn't mean just like, well, a big majority are, or a whole lot of them. Many means all are called. All are called. And it's a juxtaposition that many versus few. In other words, the, it's trying to delineate and it's trying to create this juxtaposition of how many there are that God calls, which is every person in the world, and how few really find it and really walk in it. And it's really sad, and I think... Uh, saddens God's heart. And so we're at 22, verse 16, it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And see, right before that, it was about inviting people to the wedding. That the, he put, the master put on a great wedding feast, and he called many. And there was one who came, and he didn't have his wedding attire on. He said some pretty harsh things to him. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, in other words, he was unprepared. He saith unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called to the wedding, and few are qualified. Now, if we were, and I'm just going to bring it down to just common English. You can, you can take those words, and when you put it in our vernacular, you would say it like this. Many are invited, but few are qualified. Many get invited, but very few will qualify themselves. See, we've got to qualify ourselves. God calls us, but we make ourselves ready. You know, it says purge yourself because there's a large house, has many vessels. You've got wood and clay vessels. You've got silver and gold vessels. And you want to go from clay and wood to silver and gold. You want to purge yourself and become a vessel of honor instead of a vessel of dishonor. You want to purge yourself and go from clay and wood, common things, to silver and gold, purge things that came out of clay, that got refined, that have been through the fire, that have exercised some self-development and had some things happen to make them into what the Bible says qualified or meet for the master's youth. That word meet means qualified for the master's youth. See, it's about self-qualification. Well, isn't that works, Pastor? No, you know, you get saved. There's no works involved in getting saved. There's no works involved in getting saved. For by grace are we saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. There is no works in getting saved. It's only receiving what's, It's only a matter of receiving what's been given to you. Can I get an amen? Oh, but being qualified is all about works. It's all about self-purging. It's uh, being qualified, being used, being anointed uh, is all about how you qualify and you prepare and you discipline and become a disciple. And you, uh, it's, it's all about what you do in cooperation with what God's trying to do with you. Can I get an amen? 
And even that you could never do yourself. It's only a cooperation with what God has for you. Can I get an amen? And so it's, but, but you still have to get involved in that cooperation. And so when we get cooperating with God and we start transforming ourselves and because we're motivated by this hope that our calling has for us, that I can find my place, I can be useful, I can be anointed by God, I can be made into silver and gold level usability in the kingdom of God, and I can become somebody and do something for God that otherwise, if I let myself go, I'll never be. See, it's so important. Many are called, many are invited, but few end up being qualified and really doing it. So Matthew 14, 19 through uh, 21, he got 5,000 come. You know, Jesus, he, he uh, you know, was preaching, and of course the crowds would come out. and You know, a lot of people were invited, and they want to come, and they want to get something. This is where the problem begins to arise. <clears throat> Excuse me, 14, 19 through 21, Matthew 14. 19 through 21, and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did eat, excuse me, they did all eat, and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained, 12 baskets full. Wow. When they had eaten, there were about 5,000 men, besides the women and children, which a lot of people believe that they had about average of four kids for family back then. So you're talking about 20,000, 25,000 people. And that was a miracle. That was the multiplication of the loaves. But isn't it funny that when we get to Acts 15, you know, 5,000 came out to get something and many were called and they showed up and they wanted to hear, they wanted to get healed. They, want, they liked being fed. They wanted a miracle. They wanted to get delivered. They wanted a lot of things. But then when Jesus became unpopular in John 6, 66, many left. And, and then when he's arrested and then when he's crucified and then when it's not so fun to be a Christian, only 120 show up in the upper room not to receive something but to give something. Can I get an amen? 120 show up to give something. They gave themselves to prayer and seeking and following what Jesus said. See, 120 out of 5,000 actually followed through all the way to the end, through the difficulties and through the stuff. That's why we need the eyes of our understanding to know the hope of our call. Because I'll tell you what, it didn't seem to be real popular to be called to Jesus' ministry after they took him and hung him on a cross. Just ask Peter. He denied him three times. Oh, boy, not a lot of hope in this calling. We thought we, thought we were going to be part of the, uh, you know, the big takeover and that the kingdom of God is going to come in and we're going to go kick those Romans out and we're going to do some serious business and, and we're going to do some military uh, overtaking. And, and wow, I got a lot of hope in this calling. Yeah, I want to be on this bus, Jesus. I'm ready to do it. Hey, I like this. This has got a lot of hope. This calling does. And they come and they kill Jesus. They hang him on a cross and they go around looking for his followers. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, I don't have a whole lot of hope anymore in this calling. But, you know, the ones that showed up, the 120 showed up. You know, Jesus raises from the dead, and they turn the world upside down. Can I get an amen? See, there is a hope in the calling that God has for us. 
And we can see in Acts 120, they came and they prayed in the upper room and the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and all began to speak with their tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And men from all different tongues and, and lands were there and they heard their own language and, and there was an explosion. Before the day was over, 3,000 people got saved by those 120. Can I get an amen? And then right after that, 5,000 and 4,000. And scholars say within a very short number of months, it is believed, and most scholars would uh, attest to this, that there was around 100,000 believers in a very short period of time in Jerusalem. So that's pretty good. That's better than 5,000, isn't it? But 5,000 had to go to 120, and then then there was a big, huge influx. And I believe this, that... uh, Jesus, they needed to have their eyes open to the hope of their call. And I believe that we need that today. Amen. You know, many are called, but few are chosen. That kind of reminds me of over there in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It says, broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And many, everybody say many. See, many are called. Many are looking for a path. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and very few. There's that same, many are called, few are chosen. Many are going down the broad gate, and that's seeking for the answers of life. But very few are going through the true narrow gate that leads to life. There's always going to be a many and a few. There's going to be a many and a few in the kingdom of God. There's going to be a many and a few in the house of God, in the local church of God. There's always a many that are called, but then there's always a few that are chosen. And the statistic is 80%, you know, uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work in church. And our church isn't like that. We've got a lot better ministry helps than that. We've got a lot higher percentage of that. But nationwide, it's about 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And that's that many are called, but few are chosen. And the chosen uh, show up and, and things begin to happen and, and God uses them. And, and so that's important, you know. But here's the sad thing. If we don't have a hope, if we don't have a valuing, if we don't have an esteeming of our calling, and we don't see it as a high and holy and lofty and glorious thing, and we kind of just treat it like dirt, like a pig's ear instead of a, you know, a, a silk purse, and we don't see that as a, as a wonderful and glorious and beautiful thing that has eternal value, really, it, it's, it's a... It's kind of spitting in God's face because what we designed, it says that we are his workmanship. Our call is his workmanship. It's his idea. That book in Psalms with all the days that are in our life written, that's his blueprint for us. Can I get an amen? That's not something we came up with. That's something that the creator of the universe, far more infinitely intelligent and wise than we are, came up with. That calling is his workmanship. It's not our workmanship, it's his workmanship. And that calling is a very beautiful and wonderful thing. And we need to esteem it. And here's the thing, when we don't follow that calling and we don't obey the assignments and we don't do the things that purge us and prepare us and promote us, and, and, and then, then the sad thing is, God will find somebody else. And then where does that leave us? That's a very frightening thought. That's a very frightening th- thing. You know, in 1 Samuel 15, we can, we can go there and I can tell you all about it. And I use this all the time when I teach on politics. That, you know, King uh, Saul was there and 
prophet Samuel, and the prophet always speaks into the king's life, and the king never speaks into the prophet's life because one has a higher, and it's, and it's a non-reciprocation, non-reciprocating jurisdiction. It's non-reciprocating jurisdiction. The preacher gets to speak to the politician about things, but the politician has no business speaking to the preacher about things because one outranks the other. A lot of people don't get that. But you show me one place where the king gives counsel to a prophet, and you will not find it in the Bible. So he goes down there and he tells, he anoints and he appoints Mr. Saul. And then he directs and he inspects Mr. Saul. Then he reproves and he removes Mr. Saul. He says, go down and kill everything at Agag. You know, grandpa and grandma, the kids, mom and dad, the dog, the cat, the horse, the pig. Kill it all because it's a cancer and it's going to rise up and it's going to destroy everything. But, you know, there's always somebody that's smarter than God. Then you know, that's not very politically correct either. So he comes back talking with the king. I, I bet they were sitting side by side on two horses having a good chat. And there were a bunch of sheep. There was a bunch of livestock from the Amalekites. But God said, kill that king. God said, said kill all that livestock. Later on, Samuel had to take it. And it says, Samuel hewed the king into pieces in front of everybody. Well, what an object lesson. You think you'd remember that one? <laughs> and so Saul disobeyed. And he thought, you know, when the prophet confronted him, he says, yeah, well, you, you don't know. I, I, I was, you know, the people made me do it. And, and why can't I just sacrifice the animals? I mean, those animals are great animals. We should be bringing them back here. We should be using it in our sacrificial system. Don't you know that? Samuel was furious. He says, who do you think you are? When you were young, you used to be humble, but now you've become an idiot. You're so arrogant. You think you know everything. And, buddy, you don't know anything. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And he really gets on him, and he really rebukes him, and he really takes him to task. And we see this kind of like this, wow, this back and forth, this arguing, and, and he's talking back to the prophet. And verse 24, we're in 1 Samuel 15, and he says, And Saul said unto Samuel, Okay, I have sinned, and I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin, and ter- let's turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And he just thought it was, all I got to do is say, well, I'm sorry. See, David, when he repented, he said, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. Saul just says, yeah, I've broken the rules. So let's get it over with. Reinstate me. How many of you know there's no relationship and I just broke the rules? Reinstate me. See, David would say, you know, my flesh cried out and I was miserable and against you and you alone. And Lord, take not your spirit away from me. Put a pure heart within me. I will give you praise and I will be restored and I will teach sinners the way and I will completely reform my life. I will completely repent. I completely ask forgiveness and I deserve, you know, completely two different types of repentance. When you look at the way Saul, sorry for getting caught, and David truly had a heartfelt transformation and change back towards God. And so Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with ye, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And you'd probably do it again, Saul, if you had the chance. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned about to go his way, and he laid hold on his skirt of his mantle, and, he, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel 
from this day, from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Ooh, what a what a what a an assault to his ego. He said, "In other words, you you wouldn't follow this calling, and you want to stay in it." But I'm, I'm going to tell you something: it's just been taken away from you. You treat it like junk. You treat it lightly. You don't take it seriously. It's like a kid. You give him a very expensive watch, and he starts beating on it like it's a hammer to pound nails in. He says, wait, 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 wait. You're not esteeming this thing the right way. You're not handling this thing the right way. You're not treating it the right way. I'm going to take it away from you permanently. I'm going to give it to somebody else who will handle it nice, who will take care of it, who will treat it like what it is and esteem it. It says, esteem them highly. In love, it says, know them that labor among you and esteem them highly in love for their personality's sake. Oh, excuse me, no. For their work's sake. Everybody say work's sake. See, the, only, the reason why you esteem a minister highly, the reason why you esteem somebody highly is not for their sake, but because of their work's sake, their calling. Everybody say their calling. See, your calling, you should value, you should esteem, you should uh, work and try to, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a good uh, speaker, I'm not trying to be a good uh, minister, I'm not trying to be a good pastor, I'm trying to be good at fulfilling the call on my life that God's called me to. I'm not trying to be a good professional clergyman and try to advance in the denominational ranks of my fellow ministers. No, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. Somebody say amen. You should be doing that too. And so we, we you know, the calling, not just, you know, the, you know this is my vocation in, in a secular sense. And vocation doesn't mean calling, that's right. But we need to look at what has God called me to do. I should put that over my job. I should put that over all the things in this world that people have ambitions for. What am I called to do? And David said, I'd rather be a doorman in the house of the Lord. In other words, he, he was saying, you know, I, I, if I were an usher down at the church house, that's more than being the president of the United States, if I do it right. Somebody say amen. There's a lot of presidents that are going to be street cleaners in heaven and a lot of uh, street cleaners that are going to be presidents in heaven. The first will be last, and the last will be first, because they don't understand spiritual things. But see, God wants us to esteem our calling high. And how do you know that, President? Because the Bible says, recognize no man after the flesh. See, it says, esteem them highly for their work's sake. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But Saul disobeyed. And you know, Saul in 1 Samuel 18, 7 through 12, Saul becomes jealous and he becomes murderous. You know, as soon as he got out of his call, here he is. Saul's anointed him. He's appointed him. He's head and shoulders above the rest. He did some mighty things. He won some battles. And then he got full of himself and he got arrogant. And then he thought, I don't have to fulfill. I don't have to take serious the calling part. I just want the, I just want the king part. Give me the king part. Don't give me the calling. Don't, don't give me the assignments. Don't give me the submission to the prophet. Don't give me those things about the calling. I just want to be the king. I want to call the shots. See that, you know, many, if we're not careful, we're all like that. So he gets called, 
And then all of a sudden, he disobeys. And outside your calling, you will degenerate down quickly. You use and abuse and lose your calling. Let me say that again. If you use and abuse and lose your calling. If you use and abuse and lose your calling, you'll become like Saul. Saul became the most insecure, psychopath, bipolar, nutcase in the Bible. The women are saying, well, Saul's killed his thousands, but David, he's killed his tens of thousands. Here's my javelin. I'm going to kill that dude. Nobody's going to one-up me. He's insecure. He's threatened. He's hateful. He's murderous. He's jealous. He chased him all over the country. He killed all the priests at the city of Nod. He can't hear from God. The prophet won't speak to him. He's separated. He's isolated. God has shut down the relationship. And he goes to the witch of Endor to try to find guidance. Can I get an amen? We're talking about one majorly screwed up dude. He blew his calling. He used it and he abused it and he, and he lost it. And then he becomes this monster. See, out, outside my calling, you probably wouldn't want to know me. What I might have been if I wouldn't have obeyed the call of God on my life. And don't think yourself so highly that maybe you wouldn't be something a lot worse if you didn't obey God. I probably would have been, who knows? I don't even want to know. (laughs) And then he goes and he fights, now get this, the Philistines. See, the Amalekites were Philistines, and he he should have killed the Amalekites because, you know what, the last battle, they were winning, they had overtaken the ark, and they were coming to kill him. And what they do to kings isn't very pretty in the ancient world. And he turns to one of his armor bearers and says, Dude, kill me now. They're coming. And we don't have a chance. He says, No, I can't do that. I have too high a regard for the office, sir. He says, Give me my sword. And he put his sword and he leaned over and he fell on it and killed himself. As he was losing the battle, and not only losing the battle, but he lost the ark of God to the Philistines. How many of you would not want your life to end like that? Because he did not esteem the call on his life, and his call got taken away from him and given to David because he did not know the hope of his calling. He knew the hope of being king and sitting on power and being a big shot. That's where he put all of his hope. But your calling will get you home safe with a lot of rewards. Somebody say amen. Don't follow another road other than your calling. Stay on the road of your calling. Amen. That's Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at another guy who blew his calling. And it had to be given to somebody else. You know, it was taken away from Saul and it was given to David. In Matthew 26, 14 through 16, we see that Judas makes a deal and sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver in Matthew 26, 14 through 16. In Matthew 46, 47 and 49, we see that he leads him into the garden and it says that he, he deceived and he turned against Jesus and his mind's back. And he says, now watch. And the person that I, I'll go up and kiss, now watch me. He, you know, he sold him out for 30 pieces. All those guys are with him. And he says, I'll go kiss and betray my master for 30 pieces of silver. How many of you know Judas was called 
but he betrayed the call. And when you betray the call, you betray the master. The result isn't very pretty. He goes back, pathetic, and he tries to give them their silver back, and they wouldn't take it back. They didn't want the blood money. 30 pieces of silver, the exact same amount that you retire a shepherd. Well, he retired his shepherd. That's their severance pay. That was known, that was standard throughout all of Israel. It had, you know, significant meaning there. Judas ends up committing suicide just like Saul. You know, I believe a lot of people that are aimless in their life, they can't find any meaning in their life. They can't find any significance. They can't find any more reason to keep on living. It's because they don't esteem what God has called them to do. They've tried to find their own way, do their own thing, and have their own say. But you've got to lose your life to find it. Can I get an amen? Saul commits suicide. Judas commits suicide. They both did not esteem their calling, the hope of their calling. They both forsook their calling. They both got outside of their calling. Oh, and the results? Oh, my goodness. If you think Saul was messed up, he became jealous, he became murdered, he became threatened, he became a mass murderer of the priests, he became a consult, consulter of witches, he became a very bizarre and demonic person. Oh, and it says also that the spirit, an evil spirit, came and entered him. How many of you know an evil spirit entered Saul? How many of you remember that? And David would come and play his, his music and the evil spirit would depart from him. Remember that? How many of you know that an evil spirit entered into Judas when he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver when he endeavored to go do that? It says that. So they both, when they left their call, the spirit of God left them and a demon came into them and they ended their life in suicide for not following the call. That's why this world is so screwed up. That's why people in America are on drugs to the tune of over 50% of Americans are on some type of prescription drug. That's why they are wanting to commit suicide. That's why in massive numbers, if you take surveys, they say, I hate my life. Well, how about trying what God designed you to do? Imagine that, that you'd actually do what the creator who created you wants you to do with your life. Somebody say amen. Oh, you don't even want to hear how cursed. There's a curse when you don't do God's call on your life. I'm going to tell you that right now. Look at, turn with me. We're going to look at this real quickly. We're running out of time, so I'll try to do this fast. But you go over to Psalms 109, and it talks about this. And then put your finger in Acts 116. But look at Psalms 109. It prophesies about one who would leave his office. And your office is your call. We'll just start in verse 1. It says, Hold not thy peace, O God, my pra- of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. Judas was wicked and he was deceitful against Jesus. He turned against him. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. That's the people that Judas brought to Jesus. We'll say, well, how do you know that's talking about Jesus? That's David talking. Well, it's a dual Application prophecy. Verse 4. For my love, they are my adversaries. Jesus gave his love to them. But I give myself unto prayer. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for love. 
That's the stripes on the cross. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. Who was the wicked man that God allowed to be set over Jesus? And Satan was at his right hand. It was Judas. And when he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Talking about Matthias, Acts 1, verse 14. And let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children be, and that happened, he committed suicide. And let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath and let the strangers spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him. Neither let there be any favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off and in the generation following in their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his father uh, be remembered with the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. I mean, there, there's some terrible things that the curse came upon him. And then you go back over to Acts and you look at that Acts one, and these are people that forsake, that forsook their calling. Life is not good outside the calling. Life is just not good outside the calling. There is no anointing outside the calling. Somebody say amen. amen. So look at this. Acts 1, 16. And it says, and men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. Now he's talking about Psalms 109. Which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. Which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and he obtained a part of this ministry. He was one of us. He had a part of this ministry. He had a calling. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of his iniquity. He got 30 pieces of silver. He went and bought himself a field. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst of it. His bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called the prop, in the proper tongue, Aseladanma, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. If you don't fulfill your calling, somebody else will. You are replaceable. I am replaceable. Saul was replaceable. Judas was replaceable. You are expendable. And if you aren't going to do it, some, God will raise up somebody else who will. Come on, somebody, say amen. It says, every person has a gift. First Peter 4, it says, well, let me say this. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, irreversible. And you'll get replaced and you'll never fulfill it, but it'll still be on the records that God's going to put you down on judgment days and he's going to say, what did you do with that calling? Paul prayed that the eyes of their understanding would be open to the hope of their calling. You better hope. You better put desire in the thing that God called you to do and is going to one day judge you for. 1 Peter 4.10 says that every person has been given a gift and that we're to be a steward over that and it's part of your calling. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we will all be judged in the things that we did in the body that we were called to do. We are going to face judgment one day. And it says in 2 Peter 1 and 10 that it is up to us to make our calling and election sure. Go ahead and turn to that one. That's a, that's a mighty strange sound in Scripture. 2 Peter 1 10, that we make our call and election sure. God doesn't do that for you. He gives you a calling, then you better make sure that you get it done. 
He's going to help you with it. He's going to guide you in it. He's going to anoint you for it. He's going to grace you for it. He's going to give you all that you need to do that pertains to life and godliness. But your calling that you've been ordained before the foundation of the world that God has given to you, then you are going to have to make that calling and that election sure. Not God. Well, whatever will be, will be. It's all predestination. It's God's, God, do whatever he wants with me. No, God says, go get yourself purged out. Don't be a vessel of, uh, of mud and... <laughs> clay and uh, wood, but become a vessel of silver and gold, and you got a lot to do with it, and you're going to be held responsible for it, and you got it. You know, God's grace is going to be there, but God is saying, look, wherefore, verse 10, wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. God elected all of us. He called all of us. He chose all of us before the foundation of the world. Many are called, but few are chosen. Those who are chosen are those who make their calling and election sure. Many are called, but few are chosen. The chosen ones make their calling and their election sure. They do that. You've got to do that. That's your responsibility. You purge yourself, and you make yourself a vessel of silver and gold with the grace of God that you're cooperating with. Can I get an amen? It's not you, like you created your ability to do that. You just use the God-given ability to do that. Somebody say amen. So calling has a hope. Heaven rewards your family, lost ones getting saved, lost people. Acts 17, 28, it says, In him we live and move and have our being. Life is better when you're doing what you're designed to do and to excel in the call. What you will be rewarded. Life is better being rewarded for what you've been called to do. Life is better. And you fulfill that book in Psalms of all the days of your life. Life is better because it's what pleases God when you follow the call. When you follow the call, it keeps you from the Jonah curse of living in the belly of a whale and being miserable. When you follow the call... Everything works better. The Apostle Paul would still be killed, would would have finished his life killing believers all his life if he wouldn't have left the non-call lifestyle and entered into the called lifestyle of being the Apostle Paul instead of Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the killer of Christians. How many of you liked the Paul that was in the call than the Paul that was not in the call? I'd rather know the Paul that's walking in the call. How about David? He'd have been still out there walking in shepherd, in, you know, sheep doo-doo, instead of being the David who was the sweet psalmist of Israel who defeated Goliath, who was the greatest king that they ever had. Can I get an amen? See, the call made him that. Say, the call will make you something greater than you presently are. And that's why you put hope in it. Some will never enter the call, and they'll settle for a deadbeat life of disobedience. Where they don't have to be disciplined, where you don't have to be answerable, where you don't have to be a disciple, where you don't have to come to church, where you don't have to serve, where you don't have to give, where you don't have to live holy, where you don't have to repent where you don't have to be, say you're sorry, where you don't have to be selfless, where you don't have to walk in love. I don't want that life. That's cheap, junk, throwaway life. Somebody say amen. 
2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 7 says, Recognize no man after the flesh, but we are a new creation, and we've got a new creation destination, and it's in our call. Life in the call's anointing. See, the call has an anointing. The gift's in the calling. The gift is the anointing in the calling. The gift's... Make you able to do the call. And the gifts are the anointing. Life in the call's anointing is better than the whale's belly. Life in the call's anointing or the calling anointing makes you smarter. It makes you wiser. And I, I, I would swear it makes you better looking. It makes you more capable, more attractive, wealthier, healthier, more confident, more fame, more friends, more... Uh, finances, more everything, when you walk in the call, life is better than when it is not in the call. Life in the anointing is like living with, with, with super uh, power, strength, and intelligence, and abilities. God wants you to live in the anointing, not in your own flesh. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Jesus, outside the calling anointing, could do no mighty works in His hometown. What does that have to do with the calling? It says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Where they could not recognize him to be the prophet, that's his calling. Everybody says that's his calling. They had no hope in his calling. Prophet is without honor in his hometown. A prophet is without the honor of what? His calling. His office. When you take away his office and his calling, he's just another one of us. And you know what? And then he can't do anything. Paul said this. Now, this is a very profound scripture. In Romans eleven thirteen, Paul said, I magnify my office. I magnify it. I exalt it. I talk about it. I hold it on a very high esteem because his eyes are open to the hope of his calling. Hope for him and hope for everybody it affects. Can I get an amen? I have a great hope for my calling to affect you. I have a hope for my calling to affect people in the political arena. I have a hope for my calling to affect my family. I have a hope for uh, my calling to affect lost people. I have a hope to affect people in this town. I have a hope in my calling to affect a lot of things. And it gives me hope. It gives me a future. It gives me a desire and a drive to continue to do what God has called me to do. Because if it's just my idea, I'd rather sit home and, and watch Fox News and eat, eat potato chips and Snickers. I don't know about you, but I got better things to do than to pretend we're playing church. Matter of fact, if that's what we're going to do, I won't show up anymore. But that's not what we're here for. We've got a call. Turn your neighbor and say, you've got a calling. Amen. Well, I'm going to have to cut this short. <laughs> we'll finish it out. There's no hope in the flesh. There's no hope in the world. There's no hope in the 911 psychic line. Somebody say amen. There's no hope in human ambition. There's no hope at the casino. There's no hope any place. It's all a deadbeat, dead end, going nowhere. There's only one that holds the key to your future and your eternity, and it's the one who has bestowed upon you a calling and an assignment for your life. Can I get an amen? There is only hope in the call for your life. Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be opened to the hope of your calling. 
Amen. Let's stand up.